Ladies and gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen. We love movies with Gordon Hayden. This film blew me away. So that's against the rules, and you can't sit with us. Did we just become best friends? Yep. Hasta la vista, baby. And the winner is... We Love Movies with Gordon Hayden. Spin. Hello and welcome along to We Love Movies with me, Gordon Hayden. Very shortly, Chris and Andy will be joining me to review this weekend's releases, which include Lightyear, which is the Buzz Lightyear spin-off. We also have Good Luck to You, Leo Grand, which stars Emma Thompson. And then Ethan Hawke, he is back with his sinister director, Scott Derrickson, for a new horror movie for Blumhouse Productions. It's called Black Phone. And we'll also be going through what we think are the best films of the year so far. So that's all to come very shortly on We Love Movies. We Love Movies with Gordon Hayden on Spin. You're listening to We Love Movies. I'm Gordon Hayden. I'm joined by Chris Wasser and Andy McCarroll. Uh, later on in the programme, we will be going through what we think are the best films of the year so far. But first, let us take a look at what is out in cinemas this week. And first up is Pixar's Buzz Lightyear spin-off. It's simply entitled Lightyear. Here's a clip. We can talk about your feelings. I am an excellent listener. No, no, look. I've had a very long day. It did not go as planned. The mission was unsuccessful? Affirmative. Oh, no. I am so sorry to hear that. Thank you, Socks. You're welcome, Buzz. Shall we play a game? No, thank you. Are you sure? I can create a game specifically for you based on your exact personality profile. Hey, listen, Socks, buddy, I'm pretty tired, so I'm gonna go ahead and hit the rack. Of course. <sighs> I can provide sleep sounds if you like. I have several options. Summer night, ocean paradise, whale calls. No, no, white noise is fine. Very well. Good night, Socks. Good night, Buzz. <sighs> So there's a clip from Lightyear, which is the new offering from Pixar, which reimagines Buzz Lightyear. Joining me is Chris Wasser and Andy McCarroll. Chris, what way are they framing this film? Because if we go back to the Toy Story movies, Buzz Lightyear, is, of course, the toy is based off of a, a popular, is it a movie or TV series? So... Where does this film fit in? Is this sort of, is this the, the movie or TV series, as it were, that Buzz was in, as in the, the character? Or are we seeing some other version of Buzz Lightyear? I'm, it, it sounds like this could get all very meta here and also very, very messy. Yeah, meta is, is, is the word of the day with Lightyear. And even though I've seen Toy Story more times than I can count, I had completely forgotten. I don't know, maybe, maybe Andy can help us with this. In the original film, if we're told, if it's if it's as straightforward as, oh, this is a toy based on a character from Andy's favorite film. I don't remember that part. As far as I was concerned, I just thought Buzz Lightyear was the action figure. It was just a toy. And as far as I was concerned, like, you know, the Buzz Lightyear story, you know, be begins and ends with him just being a toy, a toy voiced by Tim Allen, who has adventures with all the other playthings in Andy's toy box. That's it. But no, the people at Pixar, uh, Disney Pixar, uh, uh, front and center of which was, was Angus McLean, the, the, the writer and director of this thing, the co-writer, I should say, um, they had been hard at work on the idea in the background that he was actually from a film. Uh, so I went into this quite skeptical and I was thinking, you know, Buzz Lightyear doesn't need an origins tale. Why are we, you know, reverse engineering, you know, our favorite movies again? We saw that with Jurassic World last week. I, I, it's just not going to be the same thing, just kind of, you know, realigned, reproduced and resold to us in a different package. And then I saw the opening line of the film and I thought, okay, 
that's fair enough. And the opening line is that in 1995, in 1995, a boy named Andy receives a Buzz Lightyear action figure from his favorite film. This is that film. And I thought, okay, you know what? You get a star for that. That's I, I can get on board with this. Uh, a, because it kind of gives you free reign to do something, you know, really bonkers you know is this this is not a film from our world this is a film from andy's world and b because it completely uh, it, it allows the filmmakers to just prohibit themselves from making any sort of ridiculous pop culture statement from the 2020s and i thought okay this is just going to be its own thing it might rip off and it does it might borrow themes and 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 you know ideas from other sci-fi films but it's very much in its own world so i thought that was a good start Andy, I know you're a massive fan of good old Buzz Lightyear. Now, we don't have uh, Tim Allen voicing here. We've got Chris Evans, obviously going for because it's a younger looking Buzz Lightyear. What did you make of this new re- reimagining? Yeah, well, I think they needed, obviously, a huge star to kind of, you know, do the press tour with this. And I think Tim Allen has been a bit problematic, shall we say, uh, with a few of his views lately. So, Chris Evans is, you know, the the sexy front man who can absolutely sell the film. It's also, you know, a kind of a nice little in-joke in that, you know, the toy is voiced by someone who's not the film, which in the case of the the Woody doll, Tom Hanks doesn't voice the doll. It's actually Tom Hanks' brother who's done it. So if you want to get even more meta, that's where you go with that. But I have to say, he does a fantastic job, Chris Evans. He has that, you know, obviously being Captain America, that kind of authority, you know, writer than right voice as well. And by all accounts, is not as problematic in real life, apart from, you know, a few risque pictures that he didn't mean to share. But other than that, he's as wholesome and Disney as they get. Um, in terms of the story, though, Andy, did it work for you? Because like that in Toy Story, you have such a plethora of strong supporting characters. Now, outside of Woody, there's loads there from from Bo Peep to the to the to the aliens, to the, the, the army soldiers, you know, the Mr. Potato Head, Mr. Potato Head, all of them. So there's loads there. What about with Lightyear, though? Has, has the main character got much to play off of? He does. And I like what they've done and the way they framed it as okay, this was just a movie because initially this was supposed to be, you know, the story of the real man that the toy was based on. And now they're pretending that didn't happen, despite the fact I've got about 15 emails from the press office telling me that's what it was about. But this really does lean into that kind of team element as well. You've got Taika Waititi, you've got Kiki Palmer, who's going to be in, uh, coming up in Nope, and uh, an old character by Dale John, who's absolutely fantastic as well. It's so much more entertaining than I thought it was going to be. And the fact that it doesn't try to lean into the mythology of Toy Story, it doesn't try to explain every single part of it. You know, like, there's no scene in it. Like, the one that springs to mind is the, the Han Solo movie where he says he's traveling alone, he has no name, and the guy goes, oh, Solo, and that's how he gets his name. There's no stupid thing here where, you know, he hears a buzzing in his ears, and that's how he becomes Buzz, or, you know, he has a light beer, and they all miss over here and think it's light. There's nothing stupid like that. It doesn't take away anything from the Toy Story movies or doesn't try to explain away. It's very much in its own self. Like Chris said as well, there's, you know, there's pretty much a scene that's shot for shot from up, They've got, you know, the, the adorable cat that might as well be called the, you know, the Baby Yoda toy Mark II. Somehow it isn't as cynical as it sounds. If you look at it from the outside, I was going into it thinking, oh, this is cash grab central here. It's got real heart. It's got very great imagination in it as well. It looks fantastic. And despite myself, I was absolutely swept away and I absolutely loved it. Andy absolutely loved it, Chris. But I believe you think it's just... Grand. 
It is a big fat grant. Um, look, I, you know, going into this thing, I was thinking, oh, is this going to be the beginning of a new enterprise now? Are we, do we have to brace ourselves for a whole line of, you know, slickly designed, yes, and usually budgeted, yes, but very kind of like throwaway Toy Story Origins flicks. I even started to kind of think of what they could do with Woody. And the best I could come up with was the good, the bad, and the Woody. And you could get maybe Kurt Russell to, you know, be the voice of everyone's cowboy sheriff, or everyone's favorite cowboy sheriff. But I won't tell you what other ideas I have. We'll see if actually Disney has them. I would also like to say to Andy, yes, I do remember there being uh, some sort of uh, loose synopsis of what the Lightyear film was going to be. And I do remember there being a point where this film Lightyear will explore the real person who Buzz Lightyear was based on. So very, so, so disregard everything I said at the beginning there, very clearly there was another idea for this Lightyear <laughs> film to begin with. Um, look, the, the, the plot is simple enough. There are a few kind of head scratching moments, you know, because there, there is this idea that Buzz and his crew have landed on this planet. They've, uh, something's gone wrong with their ship and then Buzz has to, you know, try and find this uh, fuel that will initiate the hyperspeed for the ship. And that involves a, a highfalutin uh, test flight around a, a nearby star. Keep up with me now. And every time he sets off on that test mission, which only takes, you know, maybe a minute of his life to complete, it, it takes four years down on this planet. So he kind of watches an entire a new world change and completely pass, pass him by while he's trying to get back to his old one. So it sounds kind of simple, but there are a few moments in there where I was thinking, whoa, this is this is high concept sci-fi. Um, so that's, you know, the, the, I, I, do, I do like that. I do like the ideas in there. And I, I think I also like the fact that for no other reason, I would say, and I'm going to be cynical again, other than to maybe, you know, sell toys out of this thing. They've introduced a robot companion cast named Socks, and he's sort of a, a Gordon, a, a feline Hal from a Space Odyssey, except, you know, he's, he's got jokes. You know, this cat's got all the best lines, all the smoothest gags. I, I thought that was a, a really delightful addition to the proceedings. So there's an awful lot to like. What, what, what didn't work for me is that it doesn't really boast any of the originality and only maybe a fraction of, you know, the warmth and the width of, of say up and inside out, which is to say that it's not really top tier Disney Pixar. And it doesn't really kind of, you know, I kept thinking this needs to snap crack on the pop a bit more. You know, there's, I'm, I'm starting to actually, I can't believe I'm saying this, you know, we'll focus on the performances of this man rather than this man in, in his personal life. Tim Allen is missed here because Chris Evans is giving his run-of-the-mill good guy Captain America performance, and it's fine. He has fun with it, but there's a goofy, sarky energy that you know Alan brought to the character and I know it's a different version of the character I know he was playing a toy and he wasn't aware that he was a toy and he had no self-awareness but that's what makes this character fun mm. so I just thought I, I I would like a bit more of that but I do think you know Andy's right there it's, it's hard is in the right place it does have some fun with the ragtag crew of Misfit Space Rangers played by Taika Waititi and Kiki Palmer who have to help us out um, it's very lucky to have the cast and also I should add it, it is nice to see a same-sex a same sex couple in a mainstream Disney cartoon. That aspect of the film has been making headlines a lot this oh, week. I was going to touch on that because yeah. it's been banned in 14 countries for this. Yeah. And the, the comparison I have with this is Jurassic World has this one throwaway line in it that clearly someone has sat down and went, okay, box check, that's something we can take out and we're putting the film in China or Russia or wherever it is. I like that Disney have dug their heels in here and said, no, this is an intricate part of the story. This yeah. is staying in. If it doesn't like that, a Toy Story film in China would be huge and it's not getting released there because of this. And I like that they haven't taken it away. And this is what I was talking about, the, the cynicism going in. It just everything from the outside looking in where it would look like a box tech, a box checking exercise. It doesn't. It wins you over in this. Like, that's why I think I enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I was going to. Just before we get scores, just to go off on a slight tangent, just in regard to the future for Pixar, 
are we now seeing this? Because we know they're make, they they're, they love their sequels to films that don't necessarily need sequels, like the Car series, for example, and even uh, Monsters Incorporated. But when it comes to Toy Story, which really is still the pick of the litter, it got an extra sequel that it didn't need it, sort of taking away from what was the perfect trilogy. Now we're getting this spin-off. Like, what is the future for the Toy Story characters? Are we going to start seeing more being reimagined or more sequels to Lightyear? Or will they, do you think, go back and almost create this new sequel trilogy series and develop a, a Toy Story 5? Chris, Andy, I'll ask you both the same question, but Andy, I'll start with you. It looks like there's going to be a Buzz Lightyear Star Command Disney Plus series that Tim Allen actually will be back and doing the voice of. So there's still plenty of gold to be mined on those Toy Story hills. I don't think they're going to see a sequel to this. I don't think it's going to be its own franchise. I think they're kind of in a state of flux at the moment now where all, you know, the likes of the cars, the Incredibles, the Toy Stories have kind of come to the end now and they're having to redo some original content. So I can see Disney Plus being the, the breeding ground now for a lot of these and maybe Chris's. What sounded like a horrendous TV show until he said Kurt Russell, and now I'm, I'm all in. Hopefully that still ends up on, on Disney Plus as well. <laughs> well, Chris, listen, who knows? Pete Doctor, he he could be calling your services. And um, what do you see in terms of the, the future for the Toy Story characters? I think if this thing makes a fortune, there will be an entire Buzz Lightyear trilogy. Uh, Chris Evans will be delighted by it. I have actually never seen uh, an actor so excited to be involved in a cartoon series before. He genuinely does seem thrilled that he got that call and he's having fun with it. Uh, but yeah if it makes a fortune there will be a trilogy and i do see more toy story films which is a shame because even though toy story 4 even though incredibles and frozen sequels even though these films are they're very good if any other animation studio released the kind of sequels that pixar put out you'd say well that's very good that's 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 one of the best cartoons of the year but we're so used to pixar disney pixar you know scaling those heights of you know the likes of up the likes of inside out i even thought the good dinosaur was terrific maybe the good dinosaur is where it all went wrong because nobody went to see that thing and you had maybe executives saying people don't want original stories they want sequels to our beloved you know most viable and valuable properties give them that and unfortunately that's what we turn out for. That's what that's what the public shows up for. So there will be more sequels, but I just look forward to more stuff like, even though I didn't think it was as good as everyone thought it was, I look forward to more stories like Turning Red. I look forward to more stories like Inside Out. That's what I want to see from Pixar. Right, let's get scores then for Lightyear. Andy, out of 10? It's an 8 out of 10 for me. Like I said, went in with very low expectations and it went to infinity and beyond them. Oh, I tell you, oh. You're, you're, he's getting better now when it comes to these. <laughs> uh, Chris, what about you and your score out of 10? It is very, very lucky to have that cast. I think Peter Sullivan <laughs> just totally steals the show as socks. And I guarantee that toy will be number one of every kid's wish list this Christmas. And we'll probably see Ryan Toby running after a version of it on the late toy show. So, <laughs> so six out of 10. Great stuff. There you are. If, if Tubbs, if you're listening, that's that's what's going to happen to you now for the the, the, the toy show. Uh, let us move on. Uh, good luck to you, Leo Grand stars Emma Thompson. Before we chat about it, here is a clip. I, I guess I'm frustrated. Is Leo Grand your real name? Thinking about all the places I should have been by now. Now, I simply don't understand why you're doing this. This to save up for our college. Oh, how wonderful. Are you really? No. <laughs> What's the oldest person you've ever done it with? 82. 82? Yes. 82? Nancy. Okay, I'm feeling a bit better now. So, good luck to you, Leo Grand. Chris, you've seen this one. Um, the big talking point is that Emma Thompson 
she is there's a lot of nudity in this film and for an actress that doesn't really do a lot of nudity so she's really bearing all here but this is about a, a mature lady who essentially hires the services of an escort in a nutshell is that what we're at that is where we're at. Yeah, um, it is about a handsome Irish sex worker and a retired British school teacher who essentially swaps stories and a lot more besides uh, in a hotel room uh, one afternoon. Um, actually, well, their, their rendezvous then kind of stretches over into a second and third and fourth visit, but I won't spoil too much. But I will say that it does actually play out over four scenes. So it's kind of a theatrical sort of setup, and we'll come back to that in a minute. Uh, directed by Sophie Hyde, written by uh, uh, Katie Brand. Uh, you have Emma Thompson playing a woman named Nancy Stokes. She is, as I said, a retired teacher. She is a lonely widow for whom sex has never really been as pleasurable as, as she'd like. You know, we're, we're told that her late husband, you know, he was a very selfish lover and she's only ever slept with him. And she literally brings this, you know, list. It's a sort of a sex bucket list. Uh, if, and I didn't mean for that to sound as gross as, as, as it sounds, but she brings this to this uh, handsome, this, this Let's let let's let's just say this beautiful looking fellow named Leo Grant, played by the great Daryl McCormick, an Irish actor, and he's this twenty something uh, 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 professional sex worker, and she's hired him for an afternoon in the hotel, and you think that they're just going to get straight down to it, but they start talking, and as soon as they start talking, they realize they're actually very good at talking, so they talk and talk and talk through the, their way through this very you know just extraordinarily intimate exchange where she's nervous to kind of, you know, basically do what they, what they, what they came here for. And he is kind of, you know, very charming, quite articulate, very caring. And he's willing to, you know, just sit back and listen to her essentially at times tell her life story. All right. Out of 10, what would we give? Uh, good luck to you, Leo Grant. I think uh, Thompson makes it work. Uh, it's this film's very lucky to have her. I think McCormick gives as good as he gets. It's, it's quite a graceful turn. Um, I think the screenplay is quite busy. And, and and although, you know, it is quite sex positive and it does have a lot to say about Leo's profession and also explores, you know, uh, Nancy's character and her age and and combined to, you know, their understanding of, 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 of what, you know, Leo's about and you know she has some interesting things to say about his job and he kind of like you know uh, teaches her a bit but basically it's, it's very talky it's very it because it's set in the one hotel room it just looks and sounds like a film play I kept thinking all the time you know what this thing would work very very well in the Project Art Centre so as a, as a theatrical setup it works well as a film not so much but it's an okay watch I would say give it a go just approach with caution 6 out of 10 Okay, that is six out of 10 for good luck to you, Leo Grant. We're going to move to the small screen now and Netflix. You remember years ago, Adam Sandler signed a deal and he just pumped out films like The Ridiculous Six. But it just seems like his career has gone through a bit of a gear change when he worked with the Safdie brothers on Uncut Gems. And it's like he's trying to continue that train um, with um, his new film, which is called Hustle. Before we chat about it, here's a little bit from it. This Philly thing. There's room to grow there. I want to coach someday. Do you love being away from home all the time? Best chance to win in here is with you out there. What the hell am I still chasing this for? So you're just gonna give up on your dream? Been in this league for 30 years and it's like, I'm nothing. So there's a little bit from Hustle, the new Adam Sandler film, which is on Netflix. Andy, you've taken a look at this. I mentioned Uncut James, and this kind of almost feels like a spiritual uh, sort of a cousin uh, to that movie. But uh, it, it definitely seems like Adam Sandler is parking the um, the sort of the notorious uh, low-grade comedies that, he look, he made an absolute fortune for, hence why Netflix wanted to get into business with them. But 
I don't know. Are we, is this a new path for him? I'm, I'm sure those other comedies are still waiting in the wings, but it looks like he's could be doing some of his best work between both of these movies. Yeah, it is. Uh, it turns out the Netflix deal has been a fantastic feather in his cap. And we're saying that he's getting away from the comedies. Unfortunately, he has done things like Murder Mystery in between this, which is getting a sequel. But watching this, it's just frustrating when you see him do things like this. It's like watching Paul Pogba. I know Manchester United fan. You see like one game he will play out of his skin and then will disappear and not, you know, do anything for half the season. This is what it's like watching Adam Sandler now. You watch things like Uncut Gems, Punch Drunk Love or Hustle, where like he is a fantastic, charismatic, really in-depth, interesting actor in a way that we, we kind of said, you know, the career that Jim Carrey could have had had he decided, you know, to keep going after the Truman Show. This is what Adam Sandler is doing now. And this is like, it's, it's a bog standard kind of sports story. But the reason it works is because of him and his relationship with Queen Latifah. The two of them have absolutely fantastic chemistry. And there's a real sincerity to Adam Sandler in this. He plays a, a down on his look at a basketball scout who finds this guy. The team aren't interested in him, but he, he kind of takes him under his wing. He's an underdog. And anyone who's seen any sports film ever will know where this is going. But it is very, very captivating. And it's the whole thing lives and dies on his performance. And the more you come away from just thinking, do more stuff like this, because it would be easy to kind of, he, he got burned at the, the Uncut Gems thing, where it was kind of, he thought he was going to get the Oscar, much the same way Jim Carrey with Truman Show. And when he didn't, when he went back to the doing things like Murder Mystery, I was like, oh no, this is, he, he's been knocked back and now he's given up. So I'm glad to see him do this. And something I, I thought for the last 15 years, I never thought I'd say, I look forward to see what Adam Sandler does next. Oh, and 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 in, within the film, it is also got a cast full of big names from within the world of the NBA. Is Le- LeBron James is in this as well? Am I right in thinking? He's not in. It. He's one of the producers ah, in it behind it. There's a, right. I think there's a Aaron Gordon. There's people like that. Are names that mean absolutely nothing to me because I don't. Well, unless your name's Michael Jordan, I don't know who you are. But it's also got Robert Duvall and Ben Foster as well, who again criminally underrated actor and is always value for money. He's one of those people that. Every film you watch, you go, I like that guy. He is very much that guy. And he's that guy in this. No Trace. Was it? What's that one? No Trace Behind? Was that the one? Leave No Trace. Leave No Trace. He's brilliant in that about a father trying to live off the grid with his daughter. Do check that film out. And finally, finally, we've got Black Phone, Scott Derrickson, um, who was set to helm the second Doctor Strange movie. But then those creative differences kicked in and he went back to uh, to the well with Jason Blum um, from Blumhouse Productions. Scott Derrickson has made a name for himself really within the horror genre and he's reteamed with Ethan Hawke who he worked with on Sinister. Their new film is called Black Phone. Before we chat about it, here's a clip. I have an announcement to make. One of our students, Finney Blake, was abducted. What if I could help the police find Finney? Hello? 
So there's a little bit from Black Phone. If you're thinking, what in the name of God is going on here? So Andy, this centers on a serial killer. Yeah, Ethan Hawke plays a child serial killer, kidnapper called The Grabber. He kidnaps a 13-year-old boy. The boy gets locked in the basement. There's this disconnected phone which starts ringing and all of a sudden he starts having conversations with previous victims who have been murdered by the grabber and they're giving him hints on how to get out of his predicament. As a concept, absolutely fantastic. And Ethan Hawke is wonderful in this. He's just that creepy, sinister, skin-crawling thing about him. He's really, really good in it. Unfortunately, it doesn't live up to its... um, its premise is based on a short story by Joe Hill, who's Stephen King's son. There is some absolutely horrendous performances in this. There's a lot of you know the child actors in this who seem to think act like you're in Stranger Things is the only way to act now. There's twists and turns in this that the trailer has given away absolutely all of them. Absolute nonsense in a lot of the cases. And the most frustrating thing is that this is about two rewrites away from being absolutely like 80s horror VHS gold. It is the most frustrating film I think I've watched this year because the more you watch, like, you know, you pick Ethan Hawke, you pick the concept, you take him out, if you swapped him out, if you just changed one or two things in this film, it would be great. But it's an absolute mess of a thing. Oh. And just, you just, you know, Scott Derrickson, I think, is going to regret that he walked away from Doctor Strange from this, certainly. Oh, no. Uh, what about you, Chris? Black phone, like you hear Andy there, but before we get Andy's score, it's pretty damning in, in uh, uh, his thoughts there whatsoever. And Jason Blum, in terms of he's a hugely successful Hollywood producer, he's made his bread and butter through horror, but there have been some absolute turkeys there. I feel sorry for uh, Joe Hill, Stephen King's son, because Jesus, poor father's litany of works. There's been some horrendous adaptations. We only have to look at the recent Firestarter. And it looks like his son now is experiencing the same uh, uh, thing here. Black phone. It doesn't sound like it has any redeeming features. Is there anything that would draw you in here to take a watch? Oh, absolutely. I'll be I'll be going to this. It's it's an Ethan Hawke film, and I think I've said this about Ethan Hawke a thousand times. You know, I I you know, in this case, if it, if it was just Ethan Hawke reading the Joe Hill short story, I would go to it. Uh, I think he always brings something special and charismatic, and and just uh, at times eccentric to 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 any role. And I think he's very good in horror. I'd actually like to see him do more horrors so so i will go to it i am a little bit cagey but you know there are there have been times in the past gordon where i've disagreed with andy just a few Ooh. times so so i might uh so who knows i might end up liking it but uh and also on the thing you know i'm I, i'm actually you know i haven't seen it yet but i'm, I'm glad to see the scott derrickson is you know back to kind of doing films like this or doing something you know like a lot smaller than a comic book movie i don't know what happened between himself and marvel i think you know the term creative differences was bandied about but maybe even if this film doesn't work out you're he's probably better off on the outside telling you know if not his own stories but you know making real horror films again so i i still want to see more from scott derrick i wonder and this is me being completely speculative here that off the back of the first doctor strange being successful did he think he was going to have a greater say when it came to the sequel. You play ball with that first film, knowing that by the time I get to that second film, I'll very have it my own way. And maybe his wings were clipped, similar to Edgar Wright when he shot all that test footage for Ant-Man and then realised, no, nah, no, it has to be as cookie cutter as they come. So then he uh, decided, I could look at that and, and, and uh, exited stage left. But uh, Andy, let us go to you uh, once again, a scores for Black Phone. Three out of ten for me. It's wow. Uh, it's again. It was just so frustrating because Ethan Hawke, the way he is in this, he deserves to be in the film he thinks he's in. 
and everyone else needs to bog off and get recast. Gentlemen, thank you so much for that. That is a look at this weekend's uh, big new releases, a light year. Good luck to you, Leo Grant. Uh, also, it was out last week, but um, Hustle's on uh, Netflix, if you haven't seen it. And Black Phone, the new horror film starring Ethan Hawke, is also out too. That is it for part one of We Love Movies. But after the break, we're back with a look at what we think are the best films of the year so far. We Love Movies with Gordon Hayden on Spin. Welcome back to We Love Movies with me, Gordon Hayden. Still with me are Chris Wasser and Andy McCarroll. And if you're listening before the break, I was saying that we're now going to be taking a look at some of the best films that we think have been released so far this year. So this is our pick of the litter. Chris, I'm going to turn to you first because you have to exit stage left shortly. I'm only uh, on Colleen Kuhn, which has received rave reviews. It kicked off this year's Dublin International Film Festival. And it's one of the, the few Irish language films that got a general release in the UK. Uh, you've got Top Gun Maverick in there, The Innocence, The Northman. Uh, we've got Red Rocket, Flea, The Humans, Boiling Point. Um, just before I get your take on why you think they're some of the best films of the year so far, Andy, what do you make of Chris's list? It far, far, far less quality than mine. There's some <laughs> very, very questionable choices, not least of which is Boiling Point, which is about as bog standard a film as you're going to get. And he's throwing stars at that like he's a ninja. And, <laughs> you know, over the past while, well, me and Chris have, you know, we were very far apart. We've come close on a couple of things. But looking at this list now, this is, you know, this is the reason people don't like film critics because you're picking bog standard films, throwing five stars at them, and then people go and see and go, is that what? No. And this is why people are going to see Snyder films. It's because of people like Chris. So not only is it a bad list wow. for us, it's a bad list for cinema in general. <laughs> wow. But Andy, hang on a second here now. Like, you know, you, you, you are seeing some films that people might know about, like Flea, for example. I've never even heard of Flea. <laughs> <laughs> what, what is, what's Flea, Chris? Come on. It's a Danish documentary by a chap named Jonas Paul Rasmussen, and uh, it was the first. Um, it's the first film to actually receive nominations in the best documentary, the best animated, and also the best international feature film. So it was nominated for three Oscars this year, um, and it's a wonderful documentary about the uh, filmmaker's uh, uh, friend who uh, agreed to kind of uh, tell his story about uh, fleeing uh, uh, the uh, Soviet Afghan War uh, when 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 he was younger, um, and the whole thing because it's. Uh, uh, because his friend kind of wanted to stay anonymous, he's given uh, uh, a, a pseudonym to begin with. But the whole thing is kind of told where this guy is literally recording his story. And then what we're seeing is uh, an animation play out. And it is just wonderful. And you're not sold. Sure, you're not, Andy. I can actually. A Danish feel- animated documentary about <sighs> a refugee fleeing from us. Is the secret he's gay? Yes. Yeah, there we are. Fantastic. Is, 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 <laughs> wait, wait, what was that? Gordon, you're going to have to, we'll have to start this again. <laughs> we, we will move on. We will move on. Uh, right. What about selling Andy on, on Colleen Kuhn? Because this has been getting rave reviews. And I know from those that have seen it have been in floods of tears at the end watching it. It's phenomenal. Um, I would go so far as to say it's probably the best Irish film ever made. And I think, you know, yes, it's called and Colin Kuhn. Yes, it is The Quiet Girl. And it's this really simple story about a young girl from who is quite neglected. And uh, she lives in this very large family in the country in, in, in the 1980s. And she, for the summer, 
as soon as school finishes, she goes to live uh, with her mom's cousin. Um, uh, this uh, uh, older childless couple, uh, you know, three hours down the road somewhere in rural Ireland, and they look after her. And for the first time in her life, you know, she kind of experiences what it's like to be cared for, what it's like to be paid attention to, what it's like to live in a home where, you know, your parents essentially see you and hear you and, you know, they accept you as a person, not just as this kind of, you know, small annoyance running around the house. And it is just so beautiful. And I, I, what, I, what I'll come back to is that is that title. It's called The Quiet Girl. And yes, people have said, you know, it's the best Irish language film, but it's actually in both English and Irish. And I think what benefits, but, but what works so well for this is that you see so many Irish films week in and week out. They're celebrated. They're, you know, everyone says they're the best film ever. They all get, all get four or five stars. But an awful lot of them, I think, I don't know whether you might agree with me, Gordon Andy, they're very talky, yappy displays that you know kind of you know there, there's an awful lot of theater talk in them and yeah and the you second get... you said this was the best irish film ever my first thought was every time i see an irish yeah. person review an irish film you can take two stars off because they're saying everything irish is the best thing this is a certain degree of nepotism that's what i was i'm glad to hear you make that point it's actually yeah. selling me on it more no there is that element that. there there, there uh, i i'm with you i mean there is that element that sometimes we you know celebrate something that you know I, I'm all for celebrating Irish cinema. You know, it's it, we need to get more bums and seats in cinemas, especially for, for for domestic offerings. But something like this, I have never seen before, where it's this simple story. It's actually adapted from 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 an Irish short story that has a beginning, a middle, and an end, and is probably the most complete Irish film I've ever seen. And characters only speak when they need to. There's some breathtaking performances here where, you know, dialogue isn't crucial. It's just, it's all about the expression. It's all about the uh, what what's up on that screen. You don't need, you know, words, words, words all the time. And it's a beautiful looking thing. It sounds amazing. It's got this beautiful score by, by, by Stephen Rennox. As I said, it is the, the, the closest thing we have to like a proper homegrown masterpiece. And I think it deserves everything good that comes its way. The last time I checked, it was on something like maybe half a million in box office takings. And for a small Irish film backed by TG4, made for next to nothing, that is very impressive. And I'm glad to see it. Yeah, it did really, really well. Breakout pictures are behind the release. And um, just before we uh, hand over to Andy, uh, Red Rocket, I have to say, I really love this film from Sean Baker. Um, I just this complete utter narcissist um, who returns to uh, his um, ex-girlfriend in Florida. Um, he's hit hard times, but he is an absolute user. You wouldn't trust him as far as you would throw him. And again, what I love about Sean Baker's work is that there's a real almost documentary type of feel to it. Everything yeah. is shot very naturalistic. Uh, uh, Simon Rex plays the main character, Mikey, and He's just one of these guys got buckets of charm, but again, he's like a snake. And it's one of those films where you are like a fly on the wall within the, 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 the surroundings. And it's a real grimy, dirty surroundings as well. If you haven't seen Red Rocket, I would highly recommend it. And uh, finally, finally, Chris, just before we hand over a uh, boiling point, you are going to you were going to fly the flag for this film till the bitter end. Uh, just let's hear your thoughts just before uh, Andy uh, mentions his top films. I will. I love this thing. Uh, it's based on a short film, uh, which I know that you've seen, Gordon, where Stephen Graham is a restaurant chef uh, 
working uh, the most stressful shift ever in the week leading up to Christmas when everybody uh, who's anybody is in this, you know, uh, upmarket uh, restaurant in, in, in London. And so much kind of plays out over the evening, whether it involves the, the, the people eating their dinner outside or what goes on in the kitchen in terms of, you know, lives falling apart and people arguing and all the rest of it. I, I, I think it's, Look, I said this at the time, it's easy to get caught up in this thing that, you know, uh, more and more films are being, we're, we're seeing more and more one-shot films, which essentially means it was all done in one take. There was no break. Um, so much rehearsal went into it. It's almost as though we're treating this film as a play set up. We're going to yell action and then whatever we get over the next hour and a half, two hours, that's going to be the film. I think that as a, as a, as a, as a, you know, as a way of making films is quite impressive, but it also needs to be brilliantly acted. The script needs to be up to scratch. You know, there needs to be kind of something in there to justify this thing being made other than the fact, other than the way it was made. I think it works on that level. The, the story's fantastic. Stephen Graham is at the top of as at the peak of his powers here. Uh, you know, it genuinely had me, you know, I was, I was, I was a nervous wreck watching it and that's the sign of a good film not just any not just a one-shot film but 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 a good drama so it works extraordinarily well for me don't go to andy he's going to tell you not to watch it don't listen to him there well there you go uh <laughs> i wouldn't say not watch it i'd say it was was a solid three out of five it was just if you take away the fact it's one shot it, it loses most of the interest in it it reminded me of the rock you know, he's like, oh, I've got, I've, you know, I've put on an extra two inches on my biceps for this. So I was like, I don't care. It adds absolutely nothing to the film <laughs> whatsoever. It is no different than if you had the exact same. And that's what boiling point is. If you take out the fact that it's one shot, it adds nothing to the film. Chris Wasser has to exit stage left. Thanks so much for joining us, Chris. We'll chat to you next week. Cheers, lads. We love movies with Gordon Hayden on Spin. So we heard Chris Wasser's films of the year. Now it's over to Andy and... Uh, Andy, one film which has been getting lots of praise uh, is Everything Everywhere All at Once. And you have this up there as one of your best films of the year so far. For people that still haven't had a chance to check it out yet, because it probably hasn't had a lot of the mainstream fanfare that, say, some of the the other current big cinema releases have gotten. Uh, Why do people need to check this out? For me, it is just one of the most unique and original and heartfelt films I have seen in years, but set against the backdrop of something absolutely insane. And to me, this is the kind of thing, you know, when people see films like Don't Look Up and they go, oh, you don't get it. It's about the environment. And it's like, no, it's fairly bog standard what it's about. You could watch this and come away with 50 different ideas of what you think it is. It's about, you know, the story of, you know, regret the story of you know a a wife and husband drifting apart the story of mothers and daughters there's so much in it you can take away but it's told in the most absolutely insane way it's you know a kung fu matrix movie but you know a really deep romance film as well there is so much to take away from this film. You could watch this three or four times and come away with something completely different. And one of the things I'm really enjoying about recommending this is everyone who's come back to me got something else for you. You could watch this and just say, oh yeah, that was a really good, you know, sci-fi action film. And, you know, it works on that level. Or you could come away and say, oh yeah, it's a really good romance film or it's a really good family drama. Like there's a scene in this film where two rocks with googly eyes are talking to each other through subtitles. And it might be the most heartbreaking scene I've seen this year. Like I was actually in floods of tears in the cinema and you're kind of watching it going, like I'm sure people listen to us going, what in the name of God is he talking about? It's one of those films where I just tell people, just trust me, just take my word for it, go and see it. 
it's it's not going to be for everyone, but I guarantee no one is going to watch this and think, I feel all the less for watching this. You're, you'll get something out of it, regardless of whether you like the film or absolutely hate it. Oh, it's on my to-do list this weekend for absolute definite. Another film, Andy, which has just been, it's been such a huge success. And in fairness, I don't think anyone probably thought, well, that's probably a very generalization now, but not to the extent it was it is and that's top gun maverick and what's really interesting as well is that it seems that a lot of the film studios think that the movies that are going to make money at the box office are the ones aimed at younger cinema goers where this one the people have been out in their droves for the nostalgia and it has made an incredible amount of money i'm sure tom cruise thought yeah it's going to be successful but the the carryover that it's had like it is still packing them in yeah and it kind of goes to show you know, it's it's not the name recognition. It's not because, like, let's face the original Top Gun isn't a fantastic film, and it doesn't have you know the the, the huge fanfare or fan base rather than something like you know Ghostbusters or Batman would have. But it just goes to show if you make a good film, you know, people will go and see it. And I really thought it was a very egoless performance from Tom Cruise as well. Like it was just a really good story. It didn't try and set up fifty different spin-offs or a sequel. It was just a really, really interesting, straightforward film, which we haven't really seen in a while. It's not trying to set up, you know, the MCU or the cinematic universe with this. And I think the the nostalgia thing is being slightly overplayed now, because if you ask most people going to see it, like a lot of people at our screen and didn't know there was an original Top Gun film. They thought because it's called Top Gun Maverick, they just assumed this was just you know, the latest Tom Cruise film. And I think the fact he is kind of the last movie star where people will see his name in a post and go, yeah, he's value for money. I will go and see it just on the basis that he is in it because for all the, you know, we mentioned The Rock earlier, Tom Cruise picks his projects very carefully. Like it'd be a long way to go back to the CV where you say, oh yeah, Tom Cruise wasn't value for money. You know, whatever you think of him and his personal, his personal beliefs, Tom Cruise is a movie star in a way that simply just doesn't exist anymore. And I think based on how we are now, we'll never exist again. Do you think also another part of the success for Top Gun has also been the Mission Impossible films, where it seems that he's been hell bent nearly with each sequel that we've seen to try and top them in terms of the stunts. And everything just came together perfectly with um, the, the the sixth film that we saw, Fallout. It, it seemed to be the best film of the series, so much so that people go, how is he going to top the stunts from the Mission Impossible movies? And look, he might have just done it now with these flight sequences. Was that a huge draw, do you think? I think part of it was because you know he's doing his stunts. But the reason I was saying about his egoless in this, I think this is very much him kind of winding down on that aspect. I know we've got the, the fight two Mission Impossible movies to go. But there's a couple of scenes in this, like there's one Miles Teller is given, you know, berating him. And Miles Teller is like a foot and a half taller than him in the scene. There's a moment where like he's creeping out of a girl's bedroom and he gets caught by the door. It's just that kind of really oh yeah, maybe I'm too old to be doing this stuff. And I thought that was a really interesting aspect of it because once he finishes up with the Mission Impossible ones, I don't think he's going to go into another action franchise. And I think we could start seeing you know, movies like you know the, the Color of Money movie, stuff, things like that he used to do, or the firm movies where you see him as an actor as opposed to an action star now. Great stuff, Andy. And look, you more films just to mention on your list, The Northman, The Outfit, but I'm going to finish with The Batman, which would be up there as one of my favourite films of the year so far. Uh, one of the big criticisms of the film, Andy, was that it was too long. There was just way too much there and that if Matt Reeves had trimmed it back, he would have made a better film. But I think for anyone that has been a fan of the graphic novels, it really does feel like tonally that this is like one of the graphic novels brought to life. 
Yeah, and I think off the back of things like you know, Suicide Squad or Zack Snyder's Justice League and you know, Wonder Woman, Aquaman, which were various levels of absolutely terrible, this kind of made it a more kind of detective-based. It really leaned into that, you know, the world's greatest detective side of the film that a lot did. And I think that's something a lot of comic book movies miss. You have all this rich tapestry. You know, the reason this character is as popular as it is is because there's so many great books written about it. And people tend to shuffle them off to the side and try and do their own thing as well and ignore what made this character interesting in the first place. And I think this is the first one that really leaned into it. Yes, I think it's too long. Yes, I think there's far too much in this that's you know taken from other films. But I'm very interested to see where this goes next. And I think with the exception of maybe Joker, this is the first comic book movie we've seen since probably Iron Man where you say, okay, this has done something different and I'm interested to see where it goes next. 100% agree with you, Andy. I cannot wait to see it. And it's now out on Blu-ray. And if you would like to win yourself a copy of The Batman, uh, starring Robert Pattinson, written and directed by Matt Reeves, all you need to do is answer this question. Name the Irish actor who plays Oswald Cobblepot in the film. He hasn't, he's not fully known as the Penguin yet, but you know he will be. Can you name the Irish actor? If you can, just email your answer and your name to we love movies at spin1038.com. Andy McCarroll, thank you so much for joining me this week on the show. Really appreciate it. And we'll be back next week from eight right here on Spin.